is it still possible for like one person or like one account to tank the deliverability of the oh, entire domain? Absolutely. I have domains that have never recovered because one idiot salesperson didn't clean their list properly. I pass the mic to you, Michael. Um, I'll let you introduce yourself and tell us what we're doing wrong in the with our emails. Yeah, so uh, this this talk came is part of a larger talk that I give uh, occasionally, but I saw a lot of confusion in the indie worldwide Slack around specifically like what sort of email tool you should be using for different kinds of email. And then when I saw somebody recommend you use MailChimp for doing cold outreach, I know for a fact that you will get banned from MailChimp doing that. And so that inspired the name of uh, today's talk. This talk is really about not getting banned by MailChimp. But for the sake of discussion, and feel free to put in the chat here, do you recognize all of these different email tools? And do you know that they are all very, very different from each other? Gmail is probably the most well-known of these. Maybe HubSpot's equally well-known. Um, MailChimp and ConvertKit started in similar veins and have moved out. Lemlist and Reply are direct competing products. And so we'll talk about what these actually mean in this course. The big question we have to ask ourselves, though, is did they opt in? And the they in this case is the people you're emailing. And by opt in, I mean, did they say, hey, I want to get emails from you? That fundamentally determines what email you're actually going to be sending and what tool you're going to use to send it. So email tools can be broken down really into three major categories. The email client is your inbox. So that's Gmail, Superhuman, tools like that. Outlook, if you're uh, in corporate America. Outreach tools like Reply and Lemlist and Mailshake that are designed for one-to-one -one email at scale. And then drip email programs, which have largely been built into marketing automation platforms at this point or turned into marketing automation platforms. And those are used for transactional emails in some cases, but then nurturing an email list that you build over time. The big thing to know here, if we can go back for a second, big thing to know here is that if you use a marketing automation or drip email tool for outreach, you're going to ruin your domain. You will probably get banned from the tool and you're going to have to start all over. So when I talk about cold email or outreach, what I mean is sending emails to people who have not opted in. In the US, this falls under can spam compliance and for B2B, it is totally legal. And so that's why there's a bunch of tools that have been developed to help with it. Now, in order to actually run cold email, you've got to do a lot of work before you send your first email. And 
the biggest thing that I see people skimp on is number one right here. Set up a domain just for outreach. Normally, I try to set up a domain on a similar sounding .com email address, but not an identical one, because obviously, if you use an identical one, then you're using a different domain ending, and that is generally rated as more likely to be spam by most filters. Once you buy that domain, you've got to do some DNS work. So if you're non-technical, uh, I've got a link to somebody on Fiverr who comes highly recommended for this at the end, but I highly personally recommend you just learn to manage DNS on your own because it's a really useful skill, especially if you're an indie hacker and you're going to have to do this probably four or five times a year if you're running email campaigns. So you want to enable all of the email authentication features. And those are DKIM, SPF, and DMARC. They're actually pretty easy to set up if you're familiar with DNS. But if you've never done anything with DNS before, uh, it might seem a little challenging. You want to do that as early as possible because you've got some lead time from when you buy the domain and set those up to when you can actually use that domain to send emails. You're going to want to build your outreach list. And I recommend you keep this as targeted as possible. So what you really want to do is say, if you're reaching out to different types of software or you're reaching out to agency founders and SaaS founders in order to sell, you're going to want to break those into separate lists. And the reason for that is at the end of the day, we can set up all this deliverability stuff, but if you've got like a bad email, you're still gonna get zero responses. It's very important that you build your lists in such a way that you can highly personalize the emails. I like to include location information. I like to include hobbies if I can. And one of my favorite tactics is to look up a bit of information on their website or their LinkedIn, and then include some of the relational points, like maybe we went to the same school, or maybe we both lived in the same city at some point, and use something that says, hey, I did my research, and I'm a real person reaching out to you. Um, in order to actually send emails, you're going to have to warm up the domain. And when I say warm up the domain, what I mean is make the domain appear to be a real domain that people use to send and receive emails from. Software like Lemlist and Reply, which are built specifically for cold email outreach, have this sort of warming feature built into them for this purpose. I generally recommend you let a domain warm up for at least two weeks, ideally a month if you have the time. And so going back to my note on number one, just buy two mains, two domains and set them up and get them warming at the same time. It will pay off in the end. So while your domains are warming up, you're going to want to clean and verify your email list. And what that means is making sure that you're not sending to any generic emails, that you're not sending to any people who aren't a good fit, and that 
all of the email addresses are real. And so in order to do that, there's a large number of tools that will verify email lists. If you're buying a list from somebody, it should be pretty clean to begin with, though if you're just scraping data, it's not going to be clean at all. And again, many of the outreach tools have this built in now. So once you've got a warmed email, you want to start slow. I recommend starting with 10 or 20 a day. And then as you know your campaign is performing well, start scaling up. If you haven't gotten any opens or replies by the time you've sent 50 or 100 emails, stop. Either your deliverability is shot through and you're listed as spam or you need better copy. Eventually, if you're running cold email, you're going to get spam trapped, ruin your deliverability, and have to start all over, which is why going back to before, I highly recommend you just go ahead and bite the bullet, spend the extra $30, buy an extra domain, and warm it up ahead of time. That way, if you have a campaign that's working, you don't have to stop for a month while you get everything set up again. So this is my simple checklist for troubleshooting any issues you have with cold email. If you've got a bad open rate, then it's either your subject line or you're getting spam trapped. If you've got the open rate but no replies, the problem is in your copy. If you've got the open rate and the replies, but you're not getting any positive replies, then you just have a bad offer or you have a terrible product. I'm not one who can really say on what the problem is there unless I see it and know what you're offering, but this happens more than you think. And if you're getting over 40% open rate and above 10% on your reply rate, then you're in the money. Um, if I get a 40-10 like that on any new idea that I'm testing, that's an idea that I know can scale. So those are the broad strokes of cold email. I didn't really touch on transactional email or nurture or how to write a good email because I'm not a professional copywriter, though I do end up writing a lot of copy for work now. So maybe I am one. I'm not quite sure. but. The essence of this is this is the process for a tactic, the actual content of your emails, how you write your emails. The only advice I really have there is include as few links as possible. The more links in an email you have, the more likely it's going to get marked as spam. And so I've got these links at the end. When this uh, presentation and PDF gets sent out, you'll be able to click through to them directly. If we'd like now, we can open up for some Q&A and I can uh, walk you through some campaigns I've run in the past year. Uh, Michael, thank you very much. Guys, if you have questions for Mike, feel free to share audio and video at this point. I, I think it just makes the, the, the inquisition a little bit easier to run. Um, so if you have questions, come and join us on stage. If you're super camera shy or bad hair day, um, hopefully I've set the bar low enough, but if not, you can post um, questions in the chat as well. Um, so Chris is asking, what's a CTA if there's no link? 
Yeah, great action. question. Hit reply. Yeah. So my favorite CTA, especially if I'm doing sales or backlink outreach, something like that, is going to be, hey, you know, if you're interested in this, hit reply and let me know. Um, I find that works good in DMs as well. Like yeah. The social media, you can say instead of like, hey, here's the link for my thing, which almost always sends you straight to the spam bucket. You can say, hey, I'm doing this thing. Would you like the link? And then you get consent. Then you send it. And that actually brings up a really good point. Everything, when it comes to cold DMs and cold email, all of the content is exactly the same. The only difference is you need to do this deliverability stuff with email that you don't need to do with social. Meaning the content, like the content of your message in a Twitter DM, same. Yes, exactly. You know, does this like warming stuff apply as well? Like, do you need to Um, warm up Twitter account? So for something like Twitter, yes. Um, For most social networks now, the answer is yes. If you're a brand new account and you start sending 100 cold DMs a day, your account's Mm -hmm. going to get blocked or shadow banned in some way. But if you've got an aged account, if you're a real account that's interacting with people on Twitter, then you'll be fine. Uh, maybe don't send more than about 50 a day. I think Twitter's DM limit is like 500 or 1,000. But I know that Twitter has limits that increase as your account is more active. I've hit the limit, but I have never been banned from Twitter. I've just been told to stop sending messages. <laughs> yep. Gonzalez says he got hit with that too. And Bruce says, yeah, there's a DM rate limiting. So it sounds like a lot of us have been hitting the ceiling. <laughs> well, <laughs> acceptable on Twitter. The great thing about email is that you can never hit like a monthly limit. You can always just set up more email accounts and send more and more. There are, I know some agencies that might be running 10 accounts for a single customer, sending 100 emails each day from the account. So that way they're sending 5,000 emails a week or more. Wow. Kind of, I had a question related to that is like, how does this cold email outreach work in a larger sales force? Like if, if I'm only allowed to send 50 emails uh, a month from this email, how can I have a team of like 12 salespeople? All yeah, cold so email? 50 a day is more, uh, more reliable limit, 50 to 100 a day um, once you're moving. But for like, if you have a sales team, then every one of your salespeople can be sending that many. So this is a per email account thing, not a per domain thing. Ah, okay. Um, The domain has to be warmed up in real. And you'll want to warm up email accounts when you start. But adding an incremental email account on a warm domain that is delivering well is not something that requires the same warm up. Gotcha. So as long as, is it still possible for like one person or like one account to tank the deliverability of the oh, entire absolutely. domain? absolutely. I have domains that have never recovered because one idiot salesperson didn't clean their list properly. What are the kind of things that, that caused that to happen? Uh, a poorly cleaned list is the biggest one. Somebody leaves a generic email address on the list and that list just happens to be a spam trap or a honeypot that's set up specifically to catch people who are sending spam. It gets reported back to one of the main spam security lists 
and then suddenly everyone's spam blocker is blocking you. Is there any way to get off of those lists? Or even like, is there a way to know if you've been added to a spam list? Yeah, so if you use MailPester, it will mm -hmm. give you this email address. You can send an email to it, and then that will allow you to check and see if you're blocked anywhere. Um, there are tools that allow you to solve for this, and there are services that are specialized in getting you off those lists. In most cases, for the big lists, if you just wait long enough, you'll get off of them. But that long enough might be six months or a year, which is why, which again, is forever. yeah, which is why, like, don't use your own domain for this. Do use, like, I think of them as trash domains almost for this sort of thing. Yeah. So don't use uh, greenberg.com, use greenberg.io, something like that. So I don't really recommend the non-traditional endings. Mm. Like one that we used, I had callforcontent.com was my main site. Mm -hmm. And so we used callforcontent.com, which redirects there. Gotcha. And it's a little oh. tricky, right? Because like that's something we're supposed to look for to notice a uh, scam as well, right? Like somebody's bought a similar domain and they're pretending to be from, exactly. from your company. Anybody can redirect to your website. Using subdomains can work, but if you have more than one subdomain that gets spam blocked, my understanding is that does impact the primary domain deliverability as well. Part of the reason all this works then is just because people have poor like, security hygiene. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Michael is asking, what's the correct tool to use for transactional emails? Looks like you're currently using customer.io. Um, should he be using something like Lemlist to send transactional emails? Um, I mean, you can, but I wouldn't. The way Lemlist works, here's the customer.io. See, send unlimited emails, push, and webhooks. This feature list sort of tells me this is not a tool made for cold outreach where if we jump over to something like Lemlist, and I'm going to recommend Lemlist because I think they got started as an indie bootstrapped. The VP of Growth book is in the Slack. If you guys have Lemlist-specific questions, you can try DMing them directly. Awesome. So, see, email warm-up. Okay, now I know this is cold outreach. Email outreach, personalized campaigns at scale, priced on a per-user basis. Those are the signs, integrates with a CRM. These are the key signs that this is really designed for cold email outreach. So can you explain the difference a little bit? Like, um, why would it be bad to use the transactional email service to send cold email and vice versa? Yeah, so a transactional service or a marketing automation service is designed to send emails from a single domain, from a single account to a wide variety of people. So it's a one-to-many approach. And for something like that, it's great for newsletters, letters, it's great for drip campaigns, it's great for transactional emails where you're sending one every time they purchase or something like that. But it's not designed to send a campaign of emails that are highly personalized and make it look like those emails are being sent from a personal account. So you can set it up so that it looks like they're being sent from a personal account. But at the end of the day, the underlying infrastructure being used to send is not developed in that way. And this is difficult for me to explain. 
So I'm actually going to show you an example of a failed test I ran. So this was a few campaigns we've got open here for a service that didn't work called Next Day Copy that was going to be like a AI copywriting service. And you can see I got decent open rates, good enough, but bad reply rates. So we knew it was a bad idea. And every single one of the emails sent was sent from this MGG at digitalmastermind.org. And so when we jump in a little deeper to what this looks like, um, so you can see I've got this set up where we've got a specific personal email that we're sending. We're sending it to those people. We've got a little bit of personalization, but not as much as I would normally like. And this is meant to, this is something that I could be sending from my Gmail. In mm -hmm. fact, the way that this particular program sets itself up is I log in with my Gmail account. So rather than it being like a, like no reply at whatever.com, this is actually being sent from my personal Gmail associated with this. And so what that does is that makes the email when it's going into filters or anything like that, when it's going into Gmail or another tool and it's going through those filters, it makes it look like somebody actually sat down in Gmail, typed out that email and hit send on a one-to-one -one basis. Is it necessary to have like random timing between emails? Like does Google get suspicious if you're sending uh, an email every, you know, 35 seconds on the dot? So the answer there is yes and no. The volume that you're sending makes a big difference. And so if we look in here, this is set up to send 150 emails a day with a 63 second delay in between emails. So that slight delay is enough to make it look like we're at least copy pasting a template, but it's not so big that I can't send 100 emails or 150 in a day. But if you're sending a thousand emails a day, you're going to want to split it up between accounts. I really wouldn't send more like 150 is my upper limit on emails I'd send from a single account every day. 150. Yeah. Some um, people will go higher. Some people will go lower. But uh, that's my upper, upper limit. Kind of trying to stick to what a human couldn't reasonably send if they were going ham. Exactly. Um, Balaji asks if you can customize the subject line or only the text of the email. Oh, yeah, you can customize everything. Can you have, like, um, hey, first name, got this for you, and the subject line, like a custom, uh, custom subject line for every person you're sending to? Yeah, and you can actually use custom variables so that you could pre-write all of those subject lines and then send them. And that's pretty um, much universal across tools. Do you... Um, create like custom first lines for every uh, person typically or you know, more rope template where it's like hi person found you at X I see you do Y um, so if I'm just testing a new idea for a product or service I'm probably not going to spend too much time personalizing if it's something that I know will work if I get in front of the right people like if I'm testing a new productized service that I already know other competitors or exist, 
or where I've already sold that as a non-productized service to other people, then I'm going to take the time to personalize it because I know this is something that there's a valid market for. And I know that my copy really makes a difference. But for like something like next day copy, this was an idea that I had. I wasn't sure if it was worthwhile to really pursue. So I kept the copy really pretty generic overall in the emails and was just looking for, hey, is this an idea that people actually want? Um, what's the, yeah, what is this tool that you're using? So this is Reply, reply.io. I use Reply and Lemlist because they had AppSumo deals in the past. AppSumo normally has a tool running for some sort of cold email, maybe not all the time, but at least two or three times a year. I've bought maybe half a dozen of them over the years through there because I really like lifetime deals. Is there, uh, are they all basically the same or is there one you you find is the best? I think lately? Reply and Lemlist are probably the two slickest in terms of UI UX. But like another one that I've used in the past is uh, Outplay HQ. I'll just put all these links in the in the chat. So Outplay had a really neat feature at first that allowed you to link it up to a chat app in the corner. So that way the chat could get personalized. And then there was another one, I think it's reply button that we used for quite a while that I can't find now. Um, but that had a button. It would allow you to embed clickable buttons inside of the emails, then then set up auto responders based on the clickable buttons. So we use that one for reaching out to podcasts to get on other people's podcasts. So that way the podcaster could just click yes, I am interested, send me the details, and then it would auto reply with the details. Oh, that's nice. I can wax a bit while people are thinking of questions on uh, on why cold email is the best place to start with anything. Yeah, why? <laughs> um, so cold email is the best to start any idea because you can direct traffic to a landing page. You can use it for customer research and you can use the same infrastructure again and again and again. Um, to test ideas. You don't actually need to build an app. You, I prefer cold email over building a wait list because I can target who I'm reaching out to and make sure that I'm really only reaching the people I want to be selling to. And so I'll do a cold email test of a few hundred or a thousand outreach. And if that works and I can sell it to somebody cold who's never heard of me before, Mm-hmm. Setting up inbound is like dumb easy after that. Yeah, because you've nailed <laughs> your copy at that point. Exactly. You've got your copy down. You can sell it to somebody who doesn't know you. So the people who know you will buy it without any difficulty. Um, okay, we've got two more here. I don't know Send in Blue, so I'm going to have to look that up. The questions are Use Send in Blue once they have a limitation about email IDs, which are often get cold emails. Does, do these other tools have a similar? limitation. I don't quite understand that question, but maybe you do. Yeah. Uh, Send in blue looks like an email automation tool, not a cold outreach tool. So different. Mm. So in the marketing automation vein, not in the cold outreach vein. So marketing out automation, that's one to many. What kind of things are considered marketing automation? Do they have to be people opted in as well? Yeah. For marketing automation? 
Okay. Yeah. So HubSpot, so MailChimp, ConvertKit, all marketing automation. The other names for cold like, outreach software would be sales automation or sales engagement tools. So that's sort of the delineation is sales email tools are designed for cold. Marketing email tools are designed for warm or opt-in. Sales email, they're not on my list. I'm reaching out to them. Marketing automation, they click, yes, I'd like to receive updates from Shopify or whatever. Exactly. And, and then, from Camilla, I'll just read it out loud for posterity. I've heard that there are some words you should avoid so you don't end up on a spam list. How big of a problem is that? Yeah, that's actually a pretty big problem. Um, and it's not so much that you're going to end up on a spam list, but that the email will get marked as spam because you say, hey, I've got a free sale and you're going to get unlimited items and it's totally mm. free. That's that's just not going to make it. And actually... Not going to make it through spam filters. Yeah, because one of the things that I do like about Reply um, in specific is that it has this nice fancy tool for grading your emails. See, it's got spam word count here, and that's just really handy. Um, this whole system is far from perfect in terms of telling you whether or not it's actually a good email, but it is good enough, and the spam word count and the subject length are two of my favorite things about it. What kind of words are on that spam word? list, I guess, free, sale, um, hot singles in your area. I'm not sure what else. I've been trying to contact you about your uh, auto insurance. Yeah. So what is the subject length? Is that important as well? Yeah. So that's the number of words in your subject line. And what that comes down to is if your subject line is too long, it will get cut off. Like in if the email, line, in your inbox, they won't be able to read the whole subject line. Yeah. And if it's too short, then you probably aren't explaining effectively why somebody should open this email. One of my favorite things to do is go look through email newsletters that I've gotten from like really good marketers, people who I know are really good at email, and then mm -hmm. use those as templates to swipe for my cold emails because the game is the same in terms of getting people to open, even if the tools and the end results are different. Like a marker, uh, whether you're saying marketing emails or cold emails, the challenge of like the subject line is kind of, it's the same thing. Like how yep. do I get somebody to click this? Exactly. I mean, honestly, all the challenges within email content are actually very similar to each other, but the mm -hmm. way that you send them is fundamentally different. Um, are there some things you've noticed seem to work well on the content side? Now that's like a whole rabbit hole of its own. Yeah. I mean, I think the things that have worked best for me over the years are phrasing it as a beta uh, when mm. I'm reaching out, If I'm at least if I'm targeting an audience that I think is early adopters, and including in the subject line their name, a number, and an emoji, if possible. That triplet is like, oh, wow, my eyes are going to focus on that. Michael, 3.145 skunk emoji. I mean, I might think you're a robot if you send me that, but <laughs> I might also open it just to find out why. <laughs> okay. Um, and outside of that, like within the actual offer, I would not include more than maybe two or three sentences and up to five bullet points. And so 
I would do like single sentence, then as a paragraph, second single sentence paragraph, bullets, close out. And I want that to have one really clear CTA where they're hitting reply and they're saying, yes, let's talk. I want this thing. Generally, What's the best email you've ever sent? The best email I ever sent in terms of like performance metrics? Yeah. Uh, there was one that we used to use for reaching out to people to appear on their podcasts. And it was based off of the fact that they had appeared on a podcast that I had appeared on. Mm. And so it was, hey, I saw we were both on this podcast. Check out my episode. And by the way, I see you have your own podcast. Would you like me to come on and talk about the same thing? That's a great. Were you able to automate that process somehow? I mean, we automated the sends, but like the actual creation. Figuring it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a I had a script that we would use to sort of scrape through podcasts to identify the overlaps. Um, mm -hmm. Eventually, I got banned from the API that I was using to do that because it was like the one thing they didn't want you to do with it. Mm -hmm. um, but then we set up some other systems that worked almost as well uh, that weren't API access related. And there's a bunch of podcast tools that allow you to do this now uh, for like 50 bucks a month. But yeah. If you're not getting banned anywhere, if you're not getting banned anywhere, you're probably not trying enough. Exactly. Things, right? I've been banned All from right. the Twitter API. I've been yeah. banned from every podcast. <laughs> every podcast API. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for being here. If you've got any other questions or want some advice or anything, just DM me on Slack. I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty active. Maybe not, but uh, I feel like I am. I think you are. And then uh, if you want to follow Michael on Twitter as well, I'll put his Twitter link. Um, oh, thanks. Thanks.